The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And again, really nice to be with everybody tonight. Week two in our eight-week study of mindfulness of the body, one of the really central teachings in the Dhamma, in the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha. And uh, I've really been liking over the years of just referring to the body, to the breath of the body as our, I mean, it, it really, like the world itself, it's a working ground. And this is a good thing to be reminded, a lot of you have heard this many times, but we tend to think wrongly that the body is here to provide me with pleasant experience. And so when we have a lot of painful experiences in the body, being a little too cold or getting old or whatever it might be, we feel somewhat betrayed. And this is the, the parallel to this unhelpful expectation that the body is kind of my slave, its job is to make me happy. We have some kind of similar attitude about the, the world generally, our partners, our pets, the weather. It's really here to create the conditions for my happiness. And when the world doesn't do that, we feel like, that's not fair. Don't you know what you're here for? <laughs> you're supposed to be making me happy. But, you know, the Buddha is very clear, and of course when we reflect upon it, it makes so much sense that the world isn't here. That would be such a, a sort of a, an abomination to think that nature, the world, its sole purpose is here to make me happy. I mean, right? That's such a... Uh, crazy idea. But it's the same with the body. The body's just the body. It's neither for us nor against us, you know. And when we're feeling good, we think the body is for us. And we're not feeling good in the body, we think it's like out to get us. But the body is neither for us nor out to get us. And we want to cultivate this realistic, grounded, relationship with the body, you know, not idealistic. And so when we, we want to consider it a working ground, a teacher, and it really, like by when we're curious, when we're open, when we're sustaining present moment awareness with the body, this working ground of the body, this dynamic or movement of sensation. And of course, being profoundly intimate with the body, we can't help but be profoundly intimate, aware of the mind, because it's the mind that knows the body. But the body is such a useful gateway to the present moment, because it's just more apparent, more concrete, more easily known, right? But don't ever think, you know, even though in Buddhism and generally, you know, we talk about the body and we talk about the mind, but there's no body without the mind. So we're really using the body 
to be intimate with the totality of the present moment, which is the mind. The mind is the relevant piece there. But the body and the mind are tethered, they reflect each other, and it's our teacher. And, and just as we'd actually, you know, if we actually had a teacher we deeply respected, that's how we want to relate to the present moment and to the bodily experience of the present moment. Like with a lot of gratitude to be able to connect and learn and a lot of patience and a lot of humility. One of the real obstacles for our work these eight weeks as we study mindfulness of the body is, you know, we're just so arrogantly certain we know what the body is. And on some level, we do have ideas, you know, conceptual images, ideas of what the body is. But that ain't the body, that's an idea. And the body is something that is moment to moment, it's only known in the moment. Because as an aspect of reality, it can't actually be grasped with words or concepts. It can be with practice and the sort of purifying how the mind knows, the way the mind relates, i.e. we're teasing out the greed, teasing out the hate and aversion, teasing out the distractedness and delusion. And so the way the mind is knowing, is relating, becomes more pure or more clear, more intimate. So in this way we can get to know the body. And in knowing the body we know the mind. And in knowing the body and the mind we know the causes for suffering and the causes for release. And knowing the causes for suffering and the causes for release, the mind wakes up and realizes the freedom that's available that the Buddha points to in his teachings. So uh, some of you know the five remembrances. I am of the nature to grow old. I have not gone beyond aging. I'm of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. I'm the, of the nature to die. I haven't gone, this body hasn't gone beyond death. All that's mine, all my possessions, all that's beloved to me, that will be taken from me eventually, everything goes away. I am the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born out of my karma, karma meaning just intentional actions. Whatever <clears throat> actions I do with intention, of that I will be the heir. So this is our predicament, and it's just one way of understanding and the Buddha kind of setting up this working ground, like it can't be other than what it is. So we have, just in a sort of superficial sense, we have two options. One is to struggle with the conditions, the circumstances, to try to get them the way we want them to be. And the other option is to use the circumstances, like the circumstances of our bodily experience, as a teacher. And what are we studying? The causes for suffering and the causes for release. And one image in the tradition is, um, you know, in terms of solving our problem as a human being is, 
because there is a lot of suffering, if you haven't noticed, including just this ordinary bodily suffering of being too cold or too warm or too much food in the belly, not enough food in the belly, indigestion, ill health, sickness, all the different afflictions that just naturally come with having a body. Itches, <laughs> dry skin, so many different things. It's amazing. Amazing if we, you know, like if we were conceptual artists and we had a big wall, white wall in our house, and every time there was a discomfort, bodily discomfort, you know, we just put a little post-it. Not, not the big three-by-three-inch post-its, you know, but tiny. I think there's ones that are like one inch by one and a half inch, you know. Just made a little note. And we had a 20-foot by 10-foot high wall, you know, and just how long, it wouldn't take that long before the entire wall was filled like, yeah, this was a little bit off, it was a little hard, a little too much, this, too little, that, all the slight or not so slight discomforts. It's endless, right? And we could do the same, it would be harder for us, right, because we're more attentive to the discomforts but it would be equally valuable to have another wall where we would just post all the little moments of pleasantness, bodily pleasantness. Warmth when we want the warmth. <laughs> touch when we want the touch. Those sorts of things. Putting on your favorite sweater. <laughs> oh, that feels good against my skin. Taking off your itchy sweater. Oh, that feels so good. <laughs> and we post it. And we, it would just help represent to us that this is the very nature of life, this flow of sensation and the mind interpreting this endless flow of sensation as being pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, on and on and on. And there's just so many, like even in this moment, there's really almost an infinite diversity of different sensations, each of which is either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, right? Like I don't have socks on, I have a pair of slippers, but that little space between my slippers and my pants and my ankle, that's cold, that's unpleasant, you know? But then my toes are a little warm in my slippers, maybe a little too warm, you know? And there's, there's this and there's that, and I don't think there's any end. And even when we're sort of aware of the different, they're immediately changing and the unpleasantness in one little location may be intensifying, becoming even more unpleasant. In another place, the, pleasant, the pleasantness may be diminishing or increasing. So even with the complexity or the diversity of the sensations, each of which is either pleasant or unpleasant, all of that is in motion, nothing is static or constant. We imagine it's static, but it really isn't when we look carefully. It's quite alive. And the reason I'm spending time in this is it really affects the experience of suffering. Because suffering, like due to physical pain, suffering is a construction. There is sensation plus resistance, mental resistance. A lot of you know this story from the suttas 
Um, it doesn't. It's from the time of the Buddha, but it doesn't involve the Buddha. It actually involves a lay person named Chitta. And by the way, Chitta is just the word for the heart, the mind, uh, in Buddhist in Buddhism in Pali. And so there was a guy named Chitta, and he was a lay person, not a monk, but he was a very devoted student of the Buddha and was had some real wisdom. And he liked that to, uh, to go visit the monks. Um, after they had their one meal of the day, because they'd often sit around after the meal and talk about practice. And so he'd go and he'd listen and learn some things. And over the years of his practice and listening, he had become quite wise. And one day he heard this argument where there was a group of practitioners and monastics arguing or having a discussion. And they were trying to get to the root of how suffering comes to be for human beings. And half of the group was arguing that the reason we suffer is that we're so sensitive. We're sensitive to experience. We're sensitive to touches, sensation. We're t sensitive to sight, to sound, to smells, to taste. We're sensitive to our, even our mental activity. If we weren't sensitive, if we weren't so exposed, there wouldn't be suffering. And then the other half of the group, you know, as the story goes at least, we say, no, 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 it's not the sensitivity. The problem is the objects that we're sensitive to. So they think, the other half, they were arguing like, if we only had pleasant visual objects and pleasant sounds and pleasant touches and smells and tastes and pleasant thoughts, then there wouldn't be a problem. And so they were arguing like this and they saw that Chitta was listening in, so they which would be a little strange for monastics to ask a lay person to weigh in because it's sort of not common. And so anyway, they did because they respected Chitta. Like, what do you think about this? And Chitta gave them the simile of an uh, uh, ox cart and two oxen. One was darker colored, one was lighter colored. And they were yoked together, you know, the wooden yoke that held the beasts, so when they were pulling the cart, they kind of worked together. And then he, he asked the, the monks that were arguing, okay, would you say that the darker ox is a fetter, a burden, to the lighter color one, or would you say the lighter color one is the burden to the darker color one? And, you know, they weren't stupid, so they said, well, neither one is a burden to the other. The problem is that they're yoked together. That's what creates the burden for them. And he used that as an image for understanding why pain, painful sensation, unpleasant sensation is a problem. Is it that I'm sensitive to the touches, to the sensations in my body? Or is it that the particular sensations I have are bad, not the ones I want? Or is it something that the mind because of habit, constructs the yoke, right? It constructs something um, on top of or dependent on the sensitivity being sensitive to certain touches. So the, the sort of simple, the most simple reality is that there's a knowing, knowing some experience. So in the case of the body, there's sensitivity knowing the experience of the body as sensation. But something arises in conjunction with that exposure, that contact, feeling, 
the feeling tone, the pleasantness, unpleasantness, my habit-based mind determining, I like this sensation, I don't like this sensation. And all the ideas that quickly follow, I want to get rid of this. Or, why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. You don't seem to be suffering from this. When is this going to go away? Should I adjust myself? So this is the thing we can do in our practice, in our sitting practice. We can get interested in the yoke. There's really nothing, I mean, there are some things we can do about sensitivity, and there's a few things we can do about what we're sensitive to. You know, like when we're sitting still in meditation, and some stiffness, some painful sensation related to holding still arises, the ankle starts to hurt or the back starts to hurt after 30 minutes or whatever it is, you know, we could always move or if it's not too overwhelming, we could get interested in the bodily experience as a teacher. Okay, there's sensitivity and there's sensation that the sensitivity that the knowing mind is sensitive to. And then there's a problem that arises in conjunction, like, and I don't like what I'm feeling, and when is this sit going to be over, and why am I sitting anyway when I could be watching TV, lounging on the couch, and drinking my favorite beverage. And so wisdom and awareness is sitting there observing this. Okay, there's the sensation, there's the knowing, there's the mental activity arising in conjunction, the emotional and mental activity, what we might call in moments at least resistance or not liking in terms of at least painful sensations or wanting it to be different. But some kind of self-centered drama. And this is what we want to discover that the suffering is optional. Sensitivity to what's coming and going in the body, not optional. I mean, there's around the edges, we can do some things. I could go take a break and put some socks on and the unpleasant coolness in my ankles right now would go away. I'm in a room that has a lot of south, a lot of uh, windows that get a lot of sun. And so during the day, it's really warm. We turn the heat down. And then about this time, it starts to get really cold because there's so many windows and we forgot to turn the heat back up. <laughs> so especially around the floor, you know, it's really cool. And so uh, that exposure to the coolness, that's just sort of those sort of experiences come with the territory of having a sensitive body, having a knowing mind, a sensitive heart, and the exposure that comes with having a body, being alive in a body, being an animal, an aging animal that was born, vulnerable to sickness and aging and death, vulnerable to loss, vulnerable to, you know, that last reflection in the five remembrance, vulnerability, exposure to karma, just means it's not only the present moment experience, that I'm exposed to? What else am I exposed to? What are, what else are all of us exposed to right now? It's not just like the coldness of my ankles that I'm exposed to. 
But when we sit, especially when we get a little bit more settled, sometimes the pain, the physical discomfort, the energetic discomfort we feel, it has to do not with present moment causes, but we're really feeling the heaviness, the ache, the stiffness of past causes. Right? Like if I've been really an angry person for many years, so when I sit still and get quiet and settle, I'm going to feel the body that has been exposed to all those years of anger. Then the body feels like this, it's tight like this. And that tightness isn't because of something I'm doing in this moment, it's the karmic fruit of what I've been doing with my body for so long. Same with diet and all kinds of habits around exercise and overusing the body or underusing the body and the karma of the kind of jobs we've had and the toxicity we've been exposed to and whether you've given birth and how many times you've given birth to, to children and you know all those kinds of things. There are causes and effects to those causes. So when we settle down, there's the present moment causes for the pleasantness and unpleasantness in our body. And there's the uh, older causes that the fruit of those older causes then may arise then now in this moment. And the point I'm making really is just that, just normalizing this exposure. Because if we think we're going to solve this exposure, the image the Buddha uses, I forget if I mentioned this, I was meaning to mention it earlier in the talk, it's like trying to cover the world in leather, is the image from the early Buddhist tradition. Like there's a lot of sharp stones and other um, things that can cut your foot when you're walking around barefoot. So I've got a brilliant plan, I'm going to cover the world in leather. Well, that ain't going to be easy, right? Or so much wiser would be just to build or make a pair of shoes. And they don't have a problem with all the sharp objects. So this simile, I guess, has been used in uh, Theravada Buddhism for a long time. Dharma practice, this practice we're all interested in and doing, it's like having been exhausted trying to make the world perfect, so my sensitivity to the exposure of having a body is palatable, is acceptable, constantly trying to make everything just right. And you know, in living in a, most of us living in an affluent place, it's just amazing. I was thinking about this earlier this evening. You know, you lift the faucet up and you get hot and cold water that's pretty clean. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> when you think about however long human beings have been walking this planet, and that we can just go, not just to one place, but many of our apartments and homes have many of those faucets where we just get nice water. We even have clean water in our toilets. It's really astounding. And then we got these little knobs that make the place hotter or colder. You know, we have amazing clothes. And, you know, walking down a large grocery store, it's just incredible. What we've done, it's basically our attempt to cover the world in leather. Has it worked? No. And, and the amazing thing is, for those of you who have traveled to places where there isn't as much affluence, 
we're not any happier than, generally speaking, I mean, obviously if someone is really sick or the poverty is extreme, there can be real suffering there. But a lot of the people who have much, much, much less than us are not necessarily less happy than those of us who have, you know, many more physical comforts. So that, that should get our attention. So what we want to get interested in is like, how do I build a pair of shoes and break that habit of trying to cover the world in leather? Trying to deal with the experience of being sensitive to the body. So just simplifying our experience as a human being just to this one area of like being sensitive to the bodily experience of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touches. What are we going to do about that exposure, being in a body? Are we going to put all our energy, because we're definitely going to use some energy to be comfortable. Put a sweater on when we're cold, put socks on when the ankles are cold, right? So I'm not saying we don't do those things, but is that our only strategy? Or is there another thing to do with our energy that really can resolve the problem of knowing sensitivity, being exposed to sensation, to the bodily experience. One of the ways, and maybe I'll just end with this uh, piece, and this is a sutta, a discourse that many of you have heard before, um, the second dart or the second arrow is how the title is translated. And it's a really powerful teaching um, where the Buddha is saying that he's really talking about this problem of pain, which is really the topic tonight. And in our small groups, for those of you who can stay, um, this is like such a great thing for human beings to talk together about. How am I relating to pain? And just, I mean, it's a, it could be emotional pain, it could be any level, but just this basic level of physical pain. It's so... Uh, relevant for us to learn from each other what works and what doesn't work. And how endless it is to always have that only strategy be to fix it or to get rid of it. And so in this discourse in the second dart, he says, you know, being human being means we're going to get hit with darts. We're going to stub our toe, we're going to get sick, things like that. And the Buddha says in this discourse, being touched by painful feeling, an untrained person sorrows, becomes miserable, is aggrieved, wails, beating the breast, and becomes bewildered. This person feels two types of feeling, bodily and mental, on being touched, on being touched by that painful feeling the person becomes aversive towards it, right? And this feels so natural because it's a very deep habit. It just seems rational to us to hate pain. So in your small groups tonight, or if you can't, uh, or whatever, aren't gonna stay for the small group, then try to find a good Dharma friend, somebody who practices, who understands what you're doing here in this class, to, or even journaling, but, but better to talk to another person about like, 
um, one, just how that doesn't work, to have only that strategy of needing to get rid of it. Because what the Buddha says next is, is really uh, tragic. The sutta goes on, being touched by that painful feeling, this person delights in the pleasure of sensuality. Why is that? Because this untrained person does not know any other escape from painful feeling other than the pleasure of sensuality. So all of our dependence, all of our neurotic, addictive dependence on nice experiences arises. It's not that having pleasant experiences is bad. I mean, it's great to have pleasant experience. But, but me, this heart being dependent on it so that I feel I suffer when I don't have it, that dependence on pleasure arises because I don't know what to do with pain. And when I get dependent on pleasure as my only antidote to pain. Now remember, pleasure can also be getting rid of the pain, or if I can't get rid of the pain, I can go drink, or I can eat some candy, or I can watch an exciting movie that takes my mind off of the pain. So there's different ways that we use pleasure to manage pain. But it really skews our relationship to pleasure like we get tight around it. So in a way we contaminate the ordinary and beautiful experience of pleasure when it comes our way. Because it's not just pleasure, it's I need it to get some distance from the pain, the unavoidable ordinary pain in life. And it goes further, you know, in this discourse then the Buddha talks about how our relationship to neutrality which really turns out to be most of our experience in life is relatively neutral, then we start to ignore neutrality because we're so desperate to manage our pain that we're fixated on pleasure so that we ignore neutral. And then we feel so disconnected because so much of life is relatively neutral. And it throws the whole life off. And then we're suffering. We're just a suffering being. So in the small groups tonight, you can talk about what is your relationship to pain. And you might just, especially just grounded in our bodily experience. So, you know, things you don't like. <laughs> Physical things you don't like. And what do you do about them? What are the strategies? What works for you? And how is it really working? Right? And then really think about the second arrow, like, because this is the alternative, you know, just the summation is just this very short, pithy bit of advice. This is from a different discourse from the Buddha now. Um, and and I, one of the articles I sent out today in the email, if you didn't get an email from me this afternoon, it means you're not on the Buddhist studies email list which means you need to either send me an email if you have my email address, or just send it to the center and either Gabe or I will get you on the Buddhist Studies email list. I don't, I don't know, maybe I sent it around 4 o'clock. And it has lots of resources, including a short article by Venerable Analio where he's talking about this discourse. And he also quotes this other discourse where the Buddha says, Therefore, practitioners, you should train yourself like this. Though my body is afflicted, 
i.e. with physical pain, my mind will not be afflicted. And that's a little bit like a koan, like a little mystery. How can that be? Like in when I was sitting tonight doing the guided meditation with you, my ankles were cold, like I said earlier. So when I wasn't talking and I could just be more directly with the experience in the body, I got to explore that exact question. Although I'm afflicted by the coolness of my ankles, that's unpleasant, right? How might it be that the mind or the heart remains unafflicted, completely unburdened? Now the place for us to explore this isn't those times in the next few weeks where we're experiencing really sharp or intense discomfort, but just the ordinary discomforts that come our way, being a little hot, being a little cold, being a little tired, being a little restless in the body. And just sort of get curious, like, yeah, maybe, because some of those things you might actually be able to do something to make it go away. But maybe before you do those things, just explore how you can, through practice, abandon the mental resistance, the mental suffering, so all there is left is the physical sensations being known. What is pain, what is painful sensation, discomfort, when there's no mental resistance? This is another topic you can bring up in your small groups tonight. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.